So the scripture is Matthew 22, 15 to 22. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap him in what he said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we hope that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with the truth and show deference to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And then they brought him a denarius. Then he said to them, Whose head is this, and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed, and they left him and went away. Gospel according to Matthew. Thanks be to God. I gotta say, taking a scripture lesson about taxes in this particular season feels like it could get me in a whole heap of trouble. On the other hand, what's the IRS going to do to me on that one? Am I, you know? Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. Give to the emperor. Give to Caesar. It's like no bones about who this is. Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. They are standing in the temple as all this discussion happens. Right there, on that hilltop in Jerusalem. It is Tuesday in a week that will end with crucifixion. That will end with resurrection. And they kind of know it. They kind of know it. But no one is yet sure how they're going to get there. How they're going to find a way to trap Jesus into saying or doing something that will provide grounds for arrest. We're at the point where the ministry of Jesus, the call to a God who lifts up the poor and marginalized and brings down the powerful from their thrones, as Mary would say, fills the hungry with good things and sends the rich away empty. Yes, I am blatantly quoting the Magnificat here. That is that point. We are there on that Tuesday where the paradigm-shifting, table-turning ministry of Jesus has former enemies coming together to face a common threat. Because the one thing that Rome and the Herodians and the Pharisees all have in common is they all hate Jesus. And that's not quite true, actually. The one thing that the other thing that Rome and the Herodians and the Pharisees all have in common is that they all have status. Although those two are deeply, deeply connected. These are people who, when they speak, the people listen and defer to them. And they like it. And they're used to it. 
and they have no desire for that to change. And they certainly do not want to be schooled by some young upstart from Nazareth, of all places. Let alone called out in front of the folks whom they have long ostracized. And so the Pharisees, who are against Rome entirely, and the Herodians, whose power derives directly from the puppet monarchy that Rome put in place, team up. These opposite sides come together against Jesus to turn either to turn the people or Rome against him. It doesn't truly matter which as long as he is out of the way sooner than later. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Rome? By which they mean, are you going to condone Rome's means of controlling people? Or are you going to instigate political rebellion against an empire that is all about the death penalty? Clearly, they don't know Jesus. Now, a lot of folks will say that it's the answer he gives which threads the needle and shifts the entire conversation, calls into question the whole premise that undergirds the trap that they have laid for him in the first place, but the tables are turned even before Jesus tells them what they can go do with their coins. The tables are turned the minute the coin appears. Because right there, in the midst of their conversation, one of these Jews, Pharisee or Herodian, it doesn't much matter, reaches into a pocket or a purse or a pouch or something right there on his very body and pulls out a denarius. Pulls out a Roman coin right there in the middle of the temple. A little piece of precious metal molded into a representation of Caesar who is named on that coin as a god. Oops. I wonder if those who were trying to trap Jesus noticed as that little coin emerged. The irony of demanding a cut-and-dried answer about loyalty even as they carried a valuable little idol right into the place where they worshipped God. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, and to God that which is God's. But it's not so simple, is it? God created all that is and all life bears God's image, including Caesar. Whose image is on that coin, anyway? And how can we be obedient to God's call to us to feed the hungry and clothe the naked without actually using the coin of the realm? I don't know about you, but I haven't figured out a good way of doing that. Can we give to God without cash and our diversified economies where we don't necessarily grow our own food or make our own cloth? The economies in which we participate aren't nearly as comfortably delineated as we might want them to be. We all necessarily participate in economies both human and divine on a regular basis. Economies of finance and human worth. Economies of production and generosity. We use coins to worship our God and we turn mercy into a bargaining chip for the sake of our own power. What is Caesar's? And what is God's? 
The lines are blurry when we consider the many ways that we relate to each other and that we relate to God and the overlap between the two. And the sermons that I've heard, and I suspect that you have as well, that turn this whole little conversation into a call simply to set aside humanity for the sake of the kingdom of God, never get quite so far as to tell us how it is that we're supposed to love God if we don't take care of one another's basic human needs. Besides, I'm not convinced that that was what Jesus was trying to say. Because Caesar wasn't considered a human, not like us mere peons, anyway. And the trap set for Jesus was not merely a political one. But sometimes it's really hard to see when an item as simple as a coin or a calf has become in itself an object of worship. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Rome? The powerful asked Jesus. And perhaps his response could best be translated, we should give what is asked to that which we worship. There is a reason that Jesus talked more about economic justice than about any other issue. A reason that he stated in no uncertain terms that what we treasure will indicate the state of our hearts. For it was true then as it is now that money is power and power is an idol. The very cut and dried statement that the Pharisees and Herodians were trying to get Jesus to make in order to get him out of their way is turned about on them. These ones who bring Rome inside the temple, these ones who entrap Jesus to maintain their own power, these ones who must choose between the words of their mouths and the meditations of all of their hearts. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's if that is the way you choose to go. If that is the image you choose to guide you through this world, give to the empire. Uphold the structures that colonize and oppress, that maintain power through systemic violence, that lift up wealth and status as symbols of divine favor, quantifying human worth in monetary terms and justifying a lack of compassion to those who are powerless and therefore deemed worthless. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Put your money where your mouth is. Let your treasure show your worship. The choice is yours. But you must choose. Whether the coin in your hand will uphold the empire or serve the realm of God. You must choose. We must choose. Whether it is more costly to build shelters for all who are outside or to claim that working through barriers we've erected but cannot see makes certain people more worthy than others to be housed. We must choose. Whether we will have mercy on those who are ill or in pain and work for healing and justice, or whether we will leverage their pre-existing conditions, their mental health, their substance use disorder, into our own political power. We must choose whether we are going to give of ourselves for the sake of lifting up the oppressed or for the sake of keeping the powerful on their thrones. We must choose whether we see what we have as Caesar's or as God's. We must choose what we will treasure. We must choose what we will worship. We must choose what we will uphold in the economies of our world because our world is always in that Tuesday moment.
Our world is always heading toward crucifixion. Always looking for the accusation, the trap, the way to secure power for the powerful. But Tuesday is not just the lead up to Friday and the ways of death and the ways of, and the ways of empire. These are not our only options. For when we can see the false narratives that set us up, the dichotomies that prop up power at the expense of the vulnerable, then we can see as well the true choices that lie beneath. These can be the days in which someone dares to hold the mirror up to reflect our worst selves and ask us to build a different world and to make different choices. Tuesday, after all, Tuesday, after all, can lead us into Sunday, can deliver us into the ways of life. Give to Caesar that which is Caesar's, that the powers that suck us dry and starve us and freeze us and hurt us turn upon themselves with all of their violent, destructive force. But give to God that which is God's. The promise that we are more than the money we make, more than the power to harm one another, more than the ways of empire, an empire which must necessarily come to an end. Give to God that which is God's. The justice that brings down the powerful and lifts up the lowly. The mercy that fills up the hungry and scatters the proud the life that overcomes even the powers of empire, even the powers of death, for the sake of all that bears the image of God. Thanks be to God. Alleluia. Amen.